0: you know i started off buying an eight unit apartment complex note deal in san diego and flipped it for 35 grand in 24 hours i bought a 21 unit note in houston and flipped it for 50 grand a week later and bought a 300 unit from a banco popular in indiana for a third of the cost re it and sold it 12 months later you just got to be flexible to see where the deals are
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. Um, so, every episode, we like to talk about a section of the podcast where we're going to deliver some value. And I can assure you that this entire podcast is going to be absolutely jam packed with value. Um, we're joined today by Scott Carson. He's the president and CEO of We Close Notes. Uh, he has a, a really interesting model, uh, extremely successful in his own right. Uh, we're going to be talking today about defaulted notes and the acquisition of those notes, a, a, a subsection of the market that I am extraordinarily bullish in, uh, but we'll get into that as we move along. So, Scott, how are we doing today?
0: I am doing wonderful, man. Honored to be here. I am loving you guys' podcast. You're doing an uh- awesome freaking job with it and uh if you're listening to this guys make sure you hit that subscribe button for them all right definitely <laughs> go Engines.
1: well i appreciate that and i enjoy your podcast as well and, and i know you've been busy today because i listened to one that just dropped earlier today and, and you had said you were going from meeting to meeting so it's been been hectic for
0: you it's been a good day. I mean, I, I, I'm always glad to be too busy versus not busy enough. You know, as, mm-hmm. as they say, is it's, it's good to be busy. But sometimes, God, we'd like for you to close that window a little bit, but not too much.
1: <laughs> not too much. <laughs> not too much. Got to be careful what we ask for. That's right. That's All right. right. So uh, I like to always give the audience uh, a little bit of background. So if you can give us some some history, where'd you yeah. grow up? What were some of your influences when you were a kid? Where'd you go to school? And then we'll jump right into how we ended up where we are today.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, I was born, I'm actually a, a Yankee. I was born in Minnesota originally Minnesota. when I was in Minnesota originally. But I grew up in, uh, my parents moved to Corpus Christi, Texas when I was a young kid in three or four. So I grew up down on, on you know, Uh, Gulf of Mexico, we lived in Corpus and moved to a small town called Ingleside like 3,500 people and my dad owned a local hardware store there and so I grew up, you know if I got in trouble, he knew it before I did. A lot of times in the small town, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, but, uh, but love growing up small town. Uh, a huge work ethic. I've always had a, a really hard work ethic. Learned that from my parents, who are entrepreneurs, and so I had entrepreneurial blood in me. Um, was successful and athletic enough. I had a in my first two years of school paid for. I had a football scholarship to a, a small Division two college out of Dallas, but that was twenty plus years ago. Uh, took a year off to figure out what the heck I wanted to do. I ended up studying business and mass communications, uh, and graduated from, uh, Southwest Texas state university. It's now Texas state, uh, out of San Marcos, Texas, the Bobcats. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, I got it. I've always been in sales, interested in entrepreneurship. I got into, uh, real estate because I was like, Oh, okay. I kind of like it. You know, who doesn't like those fictional TV shows? Like flip this house. You know what yep. I mean? Where- Absolutely. Uh, so my college sweetheart got married. We bought our first house. Our realtor was like, hey, you know, it's a good time to be investing. Should buy a couple of properties. So this is back in 2002. We bought two investment properties. We're going to be landlords. And I was like, oh, I can fix everything because I grew up in a hardware store, you know, from sure. the slab to the, the roof. But then uh, I got laid off from my job as a financial advisor. And our two tenants got laid off from a computer company that rhymes with hell known as Dell. <laughs> And so I went from being successful to being a deadbeat borrower as I was trying to make six mortgage payments, three firsts, three seconds on a private school teacher salary. Wow. And yeah. So I empathize for those that can't make their mortgage payment through some sort of fashion like a lot of people are struggling with now. Yeah. Lucky for me, we got rid of the two investment properties. We were able to modify, uh, modify our primary. I licked my wounds for about a year as a it learned the real estate investing the wrong way you know the only person that made any money on those deals was a realtor who made the commission yep and uh you know i got back into, into financing and marketing i started working for jp morgan chase as a, a vice president for them and did really well as a number one banker in all of texas and you know two years later i got a, a buddy of mine that i worked with previously as a financial advisor he started a mortgage company here in austin he hooked up with an investor who's traveling the country teaching Create a financing, wraparound mortgages, owner financing, buying—you know—create a note and sell the note off. And I said, "This is what I want to do." So I said goodbye to my, my corporate job, July fourth, two thousand and four, uh, and started going on the travel and road show, doing mortgages and, and listing to investors in back of the rooms at you know huge events. Yep. And, and started learning real estate the right way. You um, know, I was doing—we were, we were just doing a ton of mortgages, uh, two between two thousand four two thousand eight, because it was a peak. And started dabbling in real estate. And then when everything hit the fan in the last recession in 2008, I uh, left the mortgage company, sold my share for a buck, because uh, that's not all it was worth, and then just started down for dollars and calling banks and mortgage companies to see about buying their debt, because I had you know, really a four-year apprenticeship with these investors that were teaching creative financing. So I, that's all I've focused on really the last 12 years is, is buying distressed debt, you know, on residential and commercial properties from a variety of banks and lending institutions across the country, and uh, we've bought over a over a billion dollars in debt for our own portfolio. And then I'm I'm most proud of the fact that we've helped a lot of people not only stay in their home, but we've also helped a lot of real estate investors uh, learn this niche of real estate investing and, and do some amazing things for their own family and their future as well. So
1: it's that's quite a remarkable um, story, and in, in a very short period of time. To have a billion dollars in defaulted note sale purchases under your belt is is it's really is quite remarkable. Being as familiar with this side of the business as I am, uh, but I think most of the audience won't be familiar right. with this side of the business. So uh, I want to take a couple of minutes and just talk about uh, what is a defaulted note, how does it happen, what happens when you purchase one. Let's let's give the absolute basics to the yes. audience before we get into some of the more advanced stuff so they understand exactly what it is that you're doing.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk the nitty-gritty of the nuts and bolts as we like to say it. So a non performing note is a mortgage where the borrower has not made the payment in usually at least 90 days or longer. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you could you could miss 30 days and be you know get back caught back up. I mean before all COVID, you know, one in ten Americans is already thirty days later in their mortgage. Is that right? It, that was right before COVID. Exactly. Wow. Think about that. All wow. right. Um, and So when I started seeing this stuff, I'm like, ooh, we're in for a hurting uh, in 2020 and, and beyond. But anyway, so we buy distress, very distressed stuff where somebody hasn't, like I said, hasn't paid at least 90 days. Usually it's six months or longer. I mean, I looked at a portfolio yesterday where the bar hadn't made a payment in six years in some cases. Wow. So a, a, a non-performing note affects the bank in a very derogatory way. You, a lot of people think banks want the properties or the real estate. No, they want the notes because they leverage all that money dramatically. You know, they, they will leverage every dollar that they have in deposits and savings somewhere between 10 and 15 times or up to 50 times the bigger banks do. Yep. So they want that performing up because it keeps them rocking and rolling. And when a bank, when a bar falls into default in some sort of fashion, job loss, sickness, you know, a pandemic like we see right now, Uh, that value really on that mortgage and that note really starts to depreciate and banks are often willing to sell that debt off at a big discount. If you know who to talk to and you know what's going on, there's a lot of things we look into. We'll get into that in a second, but um, we'll buy that debt at a discount from the bank. The borrower still owes the amount owed on it. Right. Yeah. So let's just give some examples. Say the borrower owes a hundred grand you know, or they owe one hundred and ten grand in a house that's not worth $100,000 because they haven't paid in a few months. If they haven't paid in six months, we might come in and offer like $0.50 cents of the value of the property for that note. So we yep. might buy that note at 50 grand. And the fact that I bought it at a discount, the borrower still owes it. Now I have a lot of flexibility to work out with the borrower. And that's how, and what we do is our primary goal is actually to keep people in their properties. Right. And so we'll reach out to John and, and, and Susie Q and say, Hey, what happened? You know, I know you can't pay the year you're behind on now, but could you start paying something now? Could you, you know, and then, okay, you can, can you pay a little bit extra? Let's work something out here because if you figure in it, um, let's just say that interest rate is 6% on that mortgage. Well, a normal mortgage payment, we'll just say is uh, say 500 bucks a month, on $100,000 rough mortgage. Well, if I can get them to start paying now that 500 a month, 500 times 12 is six grand, six grand divided by $50,000 investment. That's about a 14.8% cash and cash return to me roughly. Yep. If I can get them to pay a little bit extra, my money goes up. If they, at, at the end of 12 months of paying, I could then, it's now considered a, a reperforming note. Mm-hmm. I can now sell that note off back to the secondary market, back to funds, back to IRA investors at like a... Uh, you know, 80, 85% uh, of value. So now I made six grand in cash flow along the way, plus 35 grand difference, you know, between buying the note at 50 and selling it for 85. That's a $41,000 profit on a $50,000 investment over 12 months.
1: Okay. So for, for the, the sake of the audience, again, just to, to get them caught up here, cause we, yep. we covered a lot there. So you go and you purchase a property. We'll, we'll stick with the example uh, Scott had used. You, you pay $130,000, let's say, for the property. And let's say um, at the time the face value of the note was $120,000. Over the years you've been making payments, you got it down to $110,000. Now that is the balance that's left on the note. That is not the total that you would be paying back to the bank Correct. if you made all the payments, right? So there's Correct. a couple of different spreads here that you're dealing with. You have first, the delta between what the face value of the note is and what Scott's team is purchasing it for. Like Scott said, they go in and they purchase this at 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Uh, contrary to, to, to what the the mainstream belief is, banks don't want to take your home back. Banks right. don't want to take real estate back. They are absolutely not in the business of owning their real estate. That's the last thing they want to do. So Scott comes in and he takes this note. He buys it for 50000 There's a a, a balance that is 100 or 110,000. And if you add the total payments in, depending on how many years are left in that note, that may have a a total uh, par value of 130, 140, 180, depending on how far out that note goes. So now Scott is in a position between that. 50,000 and that, let's call it that 150,000. So you're actually working with people. And I really respect that because... Uh, you don't see that too often. Uh, a lot of times people come in and we'll we'll get into that whole approach sure. also, but they, they don't look to work with the, the property owner. So you're getting the folks back on track. You're trying to get the notes to perform again. This way you can go back to the secondary market and say, hey, we're performing again. Now you're not using the 50, you're not using the 100, you're using the 150 number and you're saying there's $150,000 in payments left on this thing. I'll sell it to you for 120 or whatever that number is. Right? So that's the spread. Now, yep. are you actually doing loan mods on these things? Are you actually modifying the mortgages?
0: It depends. Some, uh, we don't do a, a loan mod for the first 12 months because if you do a loan mod immediately, taxable, it's a, it's a, sh- a short-term capital gains tax. So then you get to pay taxes on what you modify the loan for when you haven't received it. So we do trial payment plans. Um, so we'll do a 12-month trial payment plan with a bar, and it will it may be below what their existing mortgage payment it may have a stair-step clause to it to get them back up. It may start with a lower interest rate and build it back up to a point. Um, uh, then we put some incentives in there. So, like, hey, if you make payments for 12 months, at 12 months we'll reevaluate the property value and and forgive 20 grand off because your house isn't worth 130, it's worth 110 now. We'll forgive 20 grand. It doesn't I wouldn't make it back anyway? Or Hey, well, you know, you got a 9.9% interest rate because you did a subprime loan. Well, okay, well, let's drop you down to 8% or 7% or, right. you know, so there's a lot of strategy involved with that, but, you know, we do modify a lot. We get a lot of people that, that follow through that 12-month period and then we uh, permanently loan on them, and uh, that's a beautiful day. I mean, it is a, a beautiful day when somebody gets that, you know, 1,000-pound gorilla off their back worried about foreclosure. And, and cause we're, we're basically becoming the bank at that point, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And so we're working with them. We're getting solutions. We show them like, Hey, there are some other, your city has some programs or your state, has some programs, you can go, go try to qualify for them. And that's work to create a win-win. Now, if they can't get back on track, then we go the route of, okay, do we need to, you know, do we need to have somebody come in and assume the mortgage? You got a family member or somebody could come in, or you don't want to stay in the property. Okay, let's do a short sale or a deed in lieu. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, if you, uh, if we have to, if you're not going to work with us, you're going to hide your head in the sand, and then we go the legal route and foreclose. But uh, if it's going to be a real trouble borrower, you know, somebody's going to be a pain in the rear, and we can see that stuff by talking with the previous bank and the servicing company. Sure. So if, and, and if it's going to be a trouble borrower, then we would try to offload it to somebody who's more local, who doesn't mind dealing with uh, you know, borrowers that want to be a little bit more of uh, a troublesome. So that
1: that was one of my questions is, uh, you? I mean, it sounds like you're legit servicing these loans like far beyond what i had even anticipated so you're really getting in the weeds here you're working with these folks what percentage of the portfolio and maybe maybe you can't answer this because maybe it's by type of note but what percentage of the notes that you're buying would you say go the full boat route where you have to go ahead and you have to foreclose
0: Um, it, it, it comes down to kind of two things uh, a lot of real estate investors get in this space. They go after vacant properties because they want to add that real estate to the portfolio. So if you have a vacant property, almost ninety percent of them are going to go to the foreclosure route. Wow! Because, because the borrowers already walked away. You know they don't. You know they don't answer their mail. They don't want it. Might be 75 percent foreclosure, twenty-five percent where you can get a deed in lieu or a cash for keys or a, a cash for consent if there's a, a mortgage behind it where you can consent to it. On the owner occupied, on the occupied side, national average is about 40%, you know, because if it's occupied, you'll get uh, probably, you know, two out of five that will modify and, and work with you. One will just sign the property and we we'll gonna walk away. The rest of you will have to foreclose. We're really good about doing our upfront due diligence and, and, and really diving deep into the, uh, the property history, the servicing notes, the collateral file. Uh, we'll do some uh, social media sleuthing or Facebook stalking right. on the borrower. And so we've got about a 70% success rate and get the bar get back reperforming back on track.
1: So how, how large of an operation do you have?
0: Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, note investing is a very vendor-driven space. So um, I have a, a servicing company that's out of New Jersey, or they were out of New Jersey, they just moved to Reno, but Madison Management. Um, I have a full-time employee who used to work for Madison Management. She, she handles my portfolio. So she handles talking with the borrowers. She's licensed to do that. She negoti- She logs in, deals with our attorney. So she's a full-time employee that works for me that handles that. But a lot of times, if people starting off, they'll just have the servicing company handle the, the borrower outreach, which is the best thing. You should not be talking to borrowers if you're not used to doing that because uh, they'll ask for an inch, and you know you'll give them an inch, but they'll try to take a mile, like anything so else.
1: Can you explain for the audience uh, the, the servicing company?
0: Yep. What exactly do they do in the process? That's a great, great question. Glad you brought that up. So a servicing company. Uh, When you're dealing with debt, okay, there's often licenses that you have to have at the state level or the national level to collect debt, especially on the residential side there is. There's something called the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, okay, or the Fair Debt Collections Act, FDCA. So this basically means you can't show up to somebody's house with a bat and threaten them to get them out of the house or, you know, threaten violence. You can't call them at midnight threatening them. You got to follow through specific laws. So the servicing companies... They will handle the borrower outreach. They'll handle the, the documents. They'll they'll be licensed often in the state, so that you don't have to get licensed, except in a few a um, uh, few different situations of states. But they're handling that borrower outreach. So if you become seven days late on a mortgage, I think you've always had the phone start ringing off the hook, and that's what they do. They're the ones they're calling. They're the ones mailing out the letters um, that you've got to be compliant in like forty different ways with the you know the licensing, so that it's you know, uniform across the board. And so they're doing that for anywhere for like a performing note might be 20 to $25 a month per, for a performing note. And then a non-performing note will cost you like 90 to 95 a month. Okay.
1: So, so there, so I would assume that in this instance, Madison is licensed in multiple States and yeah. they've got the ability. Okay. So, um, I have so many questions, my gosh, when you're targeting a portfolio, Are you staying away from certain geographic, like, you know, what I'm inferring is legislatively, there are certain protections. Uh, New York, for example, is a very, very, very difficult state. (laughs) If if you have a troubled borrower and they file bankruptcy, uh, I've done a number of defaulted note sales. And I think the fastest we've ever gotten through, the process with the bankruptcy is two years in change, right? Minimum. Uh, So is, are you factoring that in when you're looking at portfolio?
0: Yeah, definitely. So if I'm going to buy something in New York, uh, it it is going to take two to three years to foreclose. I'm going to have higher attorney fees. And, you know, in New York, you got to hire an attorney to talk to an attorney to have an attorney, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Especially in in, uh, New York city. But I've bought a lot of debt like in Rochester and Niagara Falls and other areas up there, you know, cheap property that I could pick up for a nickel that yeah. would rent for $800 if I had to take the property back or I can get the bar back reinstated. So yeah, the, the longer the foreclosure time frame, the bigger the discount you get because the bank or the lender realizes that you're going to have to take over that problem child and kind of hold its hand through the process. Now, bankruptcy actually works in our favor a lot of times. Somebody files uh, chapter 13, it turns into a loan mod for roughly five years for us. If it's a chapter seven, then we go through the, the liquidation part to take the property back. It's long. So yeah, that's definitely, that's part of the due diligence we look at. We don't buy in Kentucky. Kentucky wants you to have a million dollar bond there if you're buying notes and it doesn't make any sense. New Jersey is another long state that, uh, you know, if you're buying a non-owner occupied or vacant pr- property in New Jersey, they have the accelerated foreclosure process for vacant properties there in New Jersey, which is a good thing. Um, I would avoid uh, Chicago and Crook County. Uh, it takes a long time to foreclose there. Plus, if you're an out-of-state investor, they will almost always, always, always side with a local borrower or tenant and give them chance after chance. It's a very corrupt city. Yep. So uh, anything outside of Crook County or Chirac, okay. Uh, but those are probably the four biggest areas that we probably don't buy a lot in. Um you Know because of that, and that's not being said. I don't buy portfolios that end up stuff with New York and other things. I do that and we work it out. You know, we'll often go to the borrowers and offer them, especially in those longer foreclosure states, like hey, we'll give you some cash to walk. You know, yeah. if it's going to cost me 10 grand for attorney fees, I might as well give you 10 grand now and, and get you out of the property and save me two years, right? So, so
1: for, for those who are wondering, well, why would anyone cooperate? With Scott and his team, what's the benefit of us doing that? So, it, it, if you pursue a foreclosure, and Scott's team takes it the distance, um, they can actually end up with a default judgment against against the borrower. So now, at this point, the borrower has lost the asset. They have a bankrupt, a, 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 probably a busted bankruptcy on their their books. They have a foreclosure on their books, and now they have a default judgment for the difference between the note and what the asset actually was worth right and and mm-hmm. you can end up uh it, but what scott's doing actually does create a pathway for folks um that a conventional bank probably is not well definitely is not going to make as fluid and as easy and and it can save you a lot of heartache and a lot of pain down the road
0: so yeah, that's that, that's correct. And, and, and on the commercial side yeah you got a default judgment. A lot of states will have just a one action suit basically that you can't, I mean, you, if it's a residential owner financing, you foreclose and take the property, that's your one action and you can't go after them for the default. Oh, is that Later. right? Yeah. Some states don't. will only allow a one action state. Like Texas is a one action state. You foreclose, you take the property, that's your one action. Even if it's sold at the auction for 30 grand less, you know, you're, you're just, you got the property. That's your one action is all you can do. Florida is also a one action state. And it varies across the board out there. But yeah, I mean, other states though, yeah, you go after them. If they got a rental portfolio that's in the same entity, the same name, we can slap that judgment on all those properties. That works really well. Well, Um, we've got a lot up here.
1: Unfortunately, that's the result because uh, in New York, um, where I do most of my business and I've sold quite a bit of of defaulted notes up here, uh, and that's the result on the commercial side is that you end up with a default judgment, which is another set of court battles and it's not as simple as, as you would think. So Scott, what, what percentage of your portfolio do you end up keeping after the fact? Let's, you know, let's say uh, things have been worked out and you've got a servicer who's working like one-on-one. I'm thinking about multifamilies, right? right. I'm thinking about commercial assets where there's no substitute for boots on the ground who's handling that for you and how much, you know, who's back, backfilling vacant apartments. And you know, is that part of your model or are you no. strictly, it's not.
0: Yeah. So here's the big thing I've always found. And I was very fortunate to have some great uh, mentors along the way that always told me, stick in your lane. If your lane is working, stick in your lane. Yep. You know? And so uh, the only property, the only States I want to take property back in and, and keep it in a rental portfolio aspect of it, is Texas because I'm here and I I know the major markets here. I've got pe- people I trust, and then Florida, God's waiting room. You know what I mean? Uh, New York <laughs> South. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I thought you'd like that, but and that's because I I have great teams there. It's all about your teams. If if you try to start taking things down willy nilly and turning a, a property in Lansing, Mission into a rental, and you're looking at something in in Cape Coral, Florida, and you're in New York and you got another deal, and you end up. Chasing these outliers that take don't make it happy. So our biggest goal is to buy non-performing, get it reperforming. If it becomes an REO we take back, we look to dump that thing to somebody else, recoup our collateral our, our investment, and then we have the double or triple-down approach. So if we bought it at 30 cents, we'll get our money back and then go buy two more assets and go buy two more assets. You know, banks are in the are the biggest companies because they focus on cash flow and, and loans, not fixing flipping, not property. Nothing wrong with that. I've been there, done that, bought a lot of rentals here in Texas and stuff like that over the years. But uh, if, it's, if it's a big commercial property, then I hire a professional property manager to take that down. And um, Because we're going to see, and I, I know you agree with me on this, we are going to see a huge amount of smaller commercial notes that are going to hit the market and be the biggest bloodbath right now. That's the biggest opportunity um, out there right now in the debt space is dealing with banks that have this small balance, $5 million or less commercial stuff because that's what's clogging up their books. And everything really, that's happened here in the last couple of years that your banks have financed the bigger, purport, the bigger portion of that. Over 60% of the distressed commercial properties are financed by banks compared to 12 years ago where it was Wall Street financing most of that stuff. And yeah. those borrowers don't have the government bailouts. They're not getting the delay to six months. Um, and you can really come in and pick up some commercial property cheap with tenants in place and, and work to keep them in there and keep that business going as possible. So a lot so of opportunity so there.
1: Th- that is. Um... There was a lot of opportunity to 2008. We we did uh, some work through a, a company called RECA, um mm-hmm. down in the Carolinas. Yeah. Uh, the name was uh, Odell Barnes, who was buying okay. massive, massive crunches of notes. And RECA yep. was one of these servicing companies that were selling the notes. Um, so right now, uh, and that was an, an interesting run, but I think right now this is going to be the largest opportunity that i'll ever see in my career so we're working uh very diligently on putting together an offering to start with you know uh, it's probably going to be a 20 million dollar raise and then we want to go after some of these notes uh we're uniquely positioned because we've got the commercial background here and uh we have capex funding which is a commercial lending arm And you know we know the values, we know the assets, we we've got a really good handle on that. So I just want to explain uh, to the audience because this is something that anybody really can do right? And I want them to understand uh, intimately what is about to happen or what is happening with the banks. So Scott had mentioned earlier that you know, the banks take take the uh, deposits and then they 10X it or 20X or 50X, which means the b- money that you're putting in the bank, the bank is then leveraging that money. And, and that's your cash that they're paying you a fraction of a percent on, they're then using that leverage to borrow money. And they're forecasting based on a myriad of different metrics that they go through in underwriting and and based on all sorts of wonderful models, they make determinations if if you're worthy of credit or not. Right? So now, if you can imagine, the banks have tightened up a lot of restrictions. It's a very different world than it was during the subprime crisis pre-08. Uh, And banks have, while many of them have uh, gotten more aggressive over the last couple of years, it's not anything like it was back in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7. So the bank has now gone out and they're providing debt to what appear to be very stable borrowers in very stable markets with solid equity. Mm -hmm. Along comes a global pandemic. And... So many shoes have dropped now out of the bank's favor and out of the landlord's favor mm-hmm. that the banks who were solvent and, and liquid because they were collecting this uh, the debt service and they're replenishing their deposits and they're staying above that threshold, right? So a bank has to remain liquid and they have to have a certain percent against what they've lent out at all times uh, to be in compliance with their charter, right? Yeah. So now the pandemic hits, not only has there been a massive amount of jobs that have been lost, portfolios are starting to slip, cash is becoming more tight, people are being laid off. Legislatively, people are moving uh, with the intent further and further to protect the everyday Joe, right? And what's happened is there's a, a massive amount of people here in New York City, in particular, that went out and bought that building, or there, you know, them and their partner went out and bought two buildings or three buildings, and they're in that mid market, exactly yep. where you said, two, three, four, five million dollar asset, and. They had solid debt service coverage ratios, which means against the amount that their payment is, they're getting that plus a percentage, 1.25, 1.5, 1.75, 2.0, whatever it is. It felt like a solid, really safe investment, right, Scott? Yeah. And, and now that this has hit and it's starting to really, I, I believe we've seen that the tippy, 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 tippy. Oh, yeah. Iceberg, right? So what's going to happen now is the banks, in an effort to remain in compliance, are going to have no choice but to start unloading this debt.
0: That's correct. There's a couple of things that I, I'm glad you brought it up, is commercial banks and banks that are lending on this stuff, they're not lending at like 95 or 100% like we used to the residential side. They're lending like mid-60s, maybe 70%. Yep. Okay. And that 70% is based off of, like you said, the debt coverage ratio, uh, the market values, their cap rates. Okay. And how cap rate is figured is you take a look at what's coming in as far as income and expenses and you figure by a multiplier. Well, if you no longer have tenants paying, your income is re- being reduced, right? That reduces your income, that reduces the value of the property. So now the bank is no longer at, let's just say, 70 cents on the dollar. They're now financed at 80 or 85 compared to the right. true market value. Right. So you might even have somebody who's paying their debt that the bank's like, listen, you now, we needed to get you down below 70. You need to bring 10% cash, 20% cash to the table to restabilize this loan. And, and people just don't have that. Yeah. you know, And so that's you, you'll see not only non-performing, but you'll see some really pretty assets performing-wise that the bank's will offload because they, they need that cash for the cash deposits. And there's a, a, a service that we use called Bauer Financial. And they are a third-party um, you know, third ranking industry, a rating company that evaluates banks and credit unions. And every quarter, a bank has to file their quarterly report with the FDIC. Yep. And they'll, t- they'll disclose all this information, what, you know, what they have in deposits, what do they have in loans, how much of their portfolio is in, in 30 to 89 day late, how much of it is beyond 90 day late. And then they'll split it up between residential and commercial and multifamily and stuff like that. So we buy this report every quarter from Bauer Financial. and It shows us down like one bank went from being a five star to a four and a half star or they went to a three and a half star. Or they went from having fifty billion dollars in, you know, thirty to eighty-nine days. Like now, it's that number's escalated. Plus, their ninety-plus days escalated dramatically. So, uh, we'd like to track banks that have at least five branches because those are they start being a little bit more flexible and lenient in their lending platforms because they got to bring these deposits in. Okay, right. So, there's seventeen hundred eighty-four banks across the country that have five or more branches. If you add up what they had last quarter, they had $85 billion in loans that were 90 days or later. This quarter, that number increased from 85 to $130 billion. Wow. Okay. And so everybody's talking about, Hey, it's a great market. We're not going to see anything bad happen. I'm sorry. We are ladies and gentlemen, you can't help, but see that. And, well, yes, there are record people buying houses and stuff like that. We've never been in such a big thing between the haves and the have-nots right now. Yep. You know what I mean, and so that you, you I mean, you're agreeing with me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's going to be this wave that hits this next year. If you're looking for like foreclosures, you may have to wait 24 months because yep. guys like James and me to come in, buy these portfolios, and then try to keep the borrowers in the house or in the property by modifying taking over operations on some of these commercial assets. Um, banks are often sometimes willing, especially when you get on assets that are a million or more in value, they may even carry the paper on the paper to keep it on their portfolio as well, too, for you, which is it's crazy. But I've seen it done. I think if somebody comes in with the, the management background or even the team, you may not need to have any experience, but if you've got a qualified team, yep, Oh, hey, you're going to manage this. The bar is going to walk away and you're going to take this over. Okay, let's keep it on the books. We'll just, you know, a couple buttons and we'll move that loan over. You bring 10% down off what we're selling the note for and we'll carry the 90% that way.
1: Yep. Again, because the banks want to grab that 10%. They need that liquidity. Exactly. The,
0: the service Yeah. Yep.
1: yep. That process to, to take it from that point to actually owning the asset which is the last thing in the world the bank wants to do is a very long painful expensive process it's frowned upon right there's a civic obligation yeah. that uh, became more and more uh, prevalent after 2008 uh, so so how did you go from you know how did you scale so quickly I, I think in my notes I have you're online with 2,700 banks and institutions like how, how, how did you do i mean I that's, do it, it yeah. is remarkable like you know how do you so, get in in the on the list of hey you know consider us when you're going to be disposing of a portfolio
0: so it is back in 2000 uh 2008 i left the mortgage i just started dialing for dollars I mean, I would pick up, it was like something like Jordan Belfort out of the, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> yeah. making 50 to 100 phone calls, you know, like Will Smith from the Pursuit of Happiness. I would literally, you know, I'd been that financial advisor, so I was not afraid to take no for an answer. Every no I got, I knew I was closer to a yes. And so I just started dialing for dollars. Not every bank has something, but you make that connection. And I just, you know, with a phone call, and then I would follow up with an email, um, a capital one, Okay. What's in your wallet? Okay. Yep. It took me seventy phone calls over a three-week period to finally get the right person in the right department. They're in New York State, actually, that would send me their list of commercial notes that they would sell. I can't tell you how many times I got transferred to Pakistan or India, and a guy, "Hello, my name is Steve." No, it's not, but thank you right being the right person. And finally, when I did, I signed an NDA. They sent me over a thirty-three-page PDF that had everything they had below a million dollars on a commercial side balance. And so it was all, it's so much on there. It was in six point font, James. It was so small. I'd take a magnifying glass to read the list, but they were like, wow. buy something. And that's one thing I, I want to put out there. Cause a lot of these banks aren't going to require you to have 5 million or 10 million to buy something. They're gonna be like, Hey, just pick something and, and take something off our hands. It's good to have the cash. You can do more when you have stuff in bulk and you can be flexible. Cause then you can be, you can, uh, you know, Say yes to good deals and no to skinny ones, but we saw that's how I started. I just started. Oh, you got something? Let me look at what you have. I'll buy. You know, I'll buy it. Well, one-off deal. You know, but that relationship with Capital One. You know, I started off buying an eight-unit apartment complex note deal in San Diego and flipped it for thirty-five grand in twenty-four hours. I bought a twenty-one-unit note in Houston and flipped it for fifty grand a week later, and bought a three-hundred-unit from a Banco Popular in Indiana for a third of the cost, re-gentrified it, and sold it 12 months later. Yep. You know, you just got to be flexible to see where the deals are, and, and that was what comes down. I just make a list. I follow up with them. I mean, there's been bankers that i have been, they've been getting my email every month, the first and third Tuesday of the month for six years, and when they finally have something, they're like, oh, I'm looking for the green email. You know, hey, let me call Scott. I got something for you to take a look at, or I've got something from a, a peer of mine at another bank that you need to take a look at.
1: So does that model still apply today? Someone that wants to get in and do this, can can you still use that method? I mean, can you still ground and pound and just try and get to the right contacts?
0: You have to because banks are so sensitive about what comes in digitally to them. So, yeah, so we leverage, we, we still pull lists, you know, We'll still dial for dollars. Now you're not going to call the customer service number. You got to know who you're calling. This is a a key point. You're not you're not walking into Wells Fargo and say I want to buy your notes. They're going to escort you out because they're going to say we don't sell. But the bank's internal departments go by usually four one of four names. The biggest banks, the biggest institutions, they have what's called a special assets department. Special assets. You you know, and you could jump on LinkedIn and type in special assets, PNC, and find these are the right people to reach out to. Mid-sized banks will usually be called secondary marketing, not marketing. Secondary marketing. All right. You also will see chief credit risk officer is often for smaller banks. You know, you know, twenty banks or less. say so you have a chief credit risk officer who's looking at their portfolio. And then the big institutions, like the big lenders that aren't FDIC, you know, um, banks, but they're still originating a lot of stuff. They'll often have a department called the whole loan trading desk. And so. We'll do that. I'll pull up a list of banks who have struggled this quarter. We'll, we'll, we'll call their main office. We don't call customer service. We try to call their main office. And then we're using LinkedIn to try to find a name that we can drop if we don't, we're not already connected with them and say, hey, is Steve available or Matt Smith or... Uh, uh, Matt Key, whoever's you know whoever it might be, and that's just a matter of dialing for dollars. If you make fifty phone calls, you may talk to fifteen to twenty people. You probably get four of them to send you an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, and you'll often get a list from them off of that one out of four. Um, you know, I, I I still do this on a regular basis, and I do this publicly. You might crack up a it but the, one Wednesday a month, I literally do a Zoom call for five hours so people watch me make dial for dollars and ground oh, and pound. And they hear the conversations and the back and forth and the callbacks as they call back because these days bankers are calling you back. In a good time, they're not calling you back. They're like, oh, we don't have that much, but right now, we know we're going to have something, and we need to we need to get, make sure I got your connection. So when I my, I get the okay from the guys upstairs, that we can call you and move the stuff.
1: So are you still buying? One-off deals, or are you only buying packages at this point?
0: It, it depends on the source. You know, so we buy usually in bulk, mini bulk to larger bulk, you know, 175, 200 assets is some of the bigger trades we do. But, like, I got this deal today come across from a fund out of Florida. It's a kick coral note. Uh, the bar owes uh, roughly about 330 The house is worth $403. Uh, the fund wants 180 for it. And I'm like, I can take it, buy it at 180 maybe it's already got a judgment in place, so that they're just waiting for the foreclosure uh, right. to open back up. So uh, the max I could have my listing or my my bid at the auction would be the three thirty that they owe. Anything above that would go to the auction. So I'll buy it at one eighty and list it for 250, 260 The auction, you know, make my seventy eighty grand and let somebody else take it over and then deal with the evictions and stuff like that. But um, you know, or if it doesn't sell, I'll take the property back, evict the the borrower, and then. Sell it at 430 when I'm only into it for like 190
1: to 200 So you're referencing the the auction. So you're buying these assets. And then how are you disposing of the notes so quickly?
0: So usually we're buying, um, well, it, it depends on where it's at. But if it hasn't, like this one, that all the legal work's already been done in Florida. It's basically been just delayed because of COVID. Now, um, if we buy the note and then we reach out to the borrowers a lot of times and they won't work with us in the first 90 days, then we'll start marketing it to other people, other note investors. There's some platforms like PaperStack.com or the loan MLS and these individual websites that you can list individual assets for. You know, I've been teaching this for 10 years. So I've got a good database of people all across the country that I'll email Hey, I got something in your backyard, something that you're looking for. If you want to take this over, go ahead, take it over.
1: Wow. So when you're making the, the purchase from the bank, um, what does that process look like again, just, just to give the audience a, um, a, a deeper understanding. It's not like they're giving you a contract and right. four months to close, right? So can you walk them through with that process? I t-
0: totally can. So, yeah, so it's, it, if you're buying a one-off note, they will usually, uh, a bank will usually give you 30 days to close, whether it's a one-off, uh, if it's a bigger asset, they may give you 60. I've even been able to negotiate 90 days on a portfolio. Wow. Um, I, I negotiated one where it was ninety days for due diligence. And then we had a six month period after we closed to swap out assets. If the, if we, yeah, it was a it was a in, unique deal a few years back, but it was a lot of their low bottom hanging stuff. They didn't know if they had all the, the, the hard collateral files. So that's what we're you're buying. So when we look at it, when we get, talk to a banker and they send us a spreadsheet or they call it a tape, and we'll have all this information. It's like 40 columns of borrower's name, address. You know, FICO scores, all the information about the the, the mortgage. Um, last time like right party contact was made, last payment made, they may give us the last 12 to 24 months of payment stream as well. So we will look at the note, see if it's performing or not performing. We'll look at the value of the property because we want to make sure that we're buying the note at a good investment to value the property, especially if they're way upside down. They owe more that then we want to make sure that number would make sense. We'll then look at also the um, uh, we'll, like I said, we'll stalk a little bit on the bar, look at what they're doing on social media. I mean, we've had like one borrower who blatantly said online, am I going to pay my mortgage or go to Disney this world this year or this month? Oh. I'm like, okay, we know that's not going to be a loan mod. Okay. We had another guy out of New York who was going through a transition. He was using his mortgage payment money to pay for his breast implants. Okay. And, uh, and, we, and we found another guy who was self-employed. He broke his leg. You know, we said, okay, I don't mind working with that guy. You know, if he broke his leg, gets back on track, you know, we'll work with him. So there's that. Then we dive into the collateral, the loan documents. That's a, a aspect of things. You know, is, is the full loan file there? What is this? this you know, the notes from the borrower to the bank? Have they been friendly? You know, we've, we've bought files that were anywhere from like, you know, very thin with just a few loan documents all the way to being like, you know, two foot tall. Or the borrower had been trying to do a loan lot for four years. And so their loan had been sold four times. And so they had the hardship letters in there, the tax return. So we learn a lot about that borrower and that property by diving the collateral file. The one thing we don't get that people that come from the fix and flip side, we don't get to go into the houses. Somebody's usually living in it. Right. right. So you can't get an internal BBO. You know, you can't, you know, you don't have the property's in good condition or bad condition. I mean, you can tell a lot about, a bar and internal condition of the property by looking at the exterior. You know what kind of car do they drive. Is the lawn mower the kids? Is it is like the grass cut in the backyard or is it Jumanji? You know, and then you can also uh, most people don't realize this, but we will call the actual the utility departments. And being the bank, they will release more information to us versus just being some random investor who doesn't have a vested interest. So the I mean the uh, the power companies, the gas companies. They'll often tell us, "Oh, yeah, that borrower's on time," or "Oh, it's we've got had three uh, termination notices," or they're on a payment plan to pay their utilities, or they were in here the other day and got in a fight in the office. Like, wow. you know, so we, we get a lot of internal information, and then, we, then when we make an offer, the bank accepts it. Great, they may counter back, and we'll go back and forth, and once we, um, you know, once we finalize that. Great, then we'll have usually another period of time for due diligence to finalize. We'll we'll pull title reports and pay for external BPOs, and then we'll go to close, and when we're wiring the money into the bank. Um, There's not like a traditional closing at a title company most times. So we wire the funds, and then usually they will overnight uh, what's called the assignment of mortgages, showing the transfer of that mortgage that you would record at the, the, the county clerk or the recorder's office showing the transfer ownership. Uh, it usually takes about two weeks to a month for servicing to transfer. Um, from if we're using say the, the, their bank was like using Wells Fargo it was just as a servicer and we're using Madison's it, the, the banks have to got have got to give the borrowers at least two weeks to let them know that things have changed. The borrower gets a letter saying, Hey, it's a good buy letter. Hey, you have you know, thank you for not paying ABC Bank. Now you gotta pay Scott Carson Bank. We'll send out our own hello letter as well and say, Hey, we we bought your mortgage. You know, we're now the bank. We see that you're behind. Um, Let's talk. Let's try to create something. If you want to stay in the house, please let us know. We're glad to work with you in some sort of fashion. And then it's kind of off and running. And and that relationship is getting built. A a lot of times borrowers want somebody just to talk to, you know, um, we've seen lenders or servicing companies that try to do everything automated. And some people, especially I said a little bit more seasoned in life, don't can't hit the buttons right on a phone. Yep, and, and so there's even some deals that we target this where we know that this loan is being serviced by the servicer as the servicing is being horrible, and so we'll target those assets knowing that hey they've got somebody they can talk to immediately that we can get back on the right track, and that saves us a lot of money in legal costs, or so where we don't have to foreclose on them now. We can actually get them off and running.
1: Well, I, fr- I think everyone can can relate to the frustration yep. of just not being able to get someone on the damn phone.
0: Amen to that. You know, yep,
1: it, it's there. There's such a uh, a lack of personalization. You know, it used to be particularly in the banking world. It used to be, uh, the neighborhood bank. And I'm not talking about in the fifties. I'm talking about right. when I first got in the business 20 years ago, yeah. you, you knew all the faces. You, you had a relationship with the folks at the bank. You yeah. did by right, right by them. They did right by you. Now, like you said, you, you, you pick up the phone. You're talking to someone in Pakistan, someone in Ohio, someone a- anywhere, but in Staten Island, if it's a Staten Island related asset. Right. And, uh, there's something to be said for that. So just to be clear here, folks, what Scott's doing is as he's going through this process and and he closes on the transaction, he's not getting the asset. He's just getting the paper, right? So he's only buying the note. So when he's buying this note, although he's doing a title report and he's, he's taking a peek behind the curtain to see what's there, he's buying the note. And in many instances, there can be other liens and other issues yep. that have surfaced around the property. So w- can you walk the audience through that? How does that work? How are those liens treated? How do you insure the property? I'm sure you do enforced insurance, right? Can yep. you talk them through what that
0: looks like? Yeah, great questions. I'm glad you brought that up. So, yeah, we do a title report to see what other liens are outstanding, whether it's a, uh, a common thing is an O&E report, an owner's and encumbrances report. Because we don't need to pull a full title report back to when the property was created, because since we buy directly from banks, ninety nine point nine percent of the time that title was still good, right? Because it's we're buying the existing loan. So we do need to see what kind of nuisance liens if the borrower went and got a second mortgage. So if there is a big like second mortgage or a big same thing, when we go, that won't affect us if we're modifying the loan mm-hmm. and working with the borrower. Okay, those junior liens, so that it would all stay in space if we modify or get them back on track. The bar is responsible for those still. Okay. But if we have to, for, if we go the legal route, then that, if there is a big second lien and other liens on that, then we do have to go through the usually the full legal route to foreclose to wipe those all out. Okay. Now, in some cases, if the bar is willing to work with us and there's a second lien on our property, we'll do what's called a consent to judgment. And that's basically a legal proceeding where the bar agrees to our judgment. We're not going after them for that, but it helps us expedite the foreclosure process to wipe out the second lien and anything else that might be clogging up title. Now, I I don't buy a lot of junior liens. I like to be in the first lien position where the only thing that could screw with me would be God or taxes. Okay, so we we always always have to double check taxes, make sure the taxes are getting either paid by the bar or in a lot of cases, we'll pay the taxes to avoid a tax foreclosure or tax sale. All right, but we'll offer a second lien, like usually fifteen hundred bucks. I'm like, you can either get fifteen hundred bucks because that's what's going to cost me to foreclose you, or get zero and wait, you know, six months for us to foreclose. Either way, how do you want to play this?
1: And you're wiping that second
0: lien straight away. Yeah, you. I mean, yeah, especially if there's, they're are over encumbered, And you know, if they the, the, there's no equity there for them. Now, if there is equity, then we just take it to foreclosure and they can, you know, we'll just go to foreclosure. I'll get paid off in full and let them get you know five cents cents of the dollar, but. It, it's you still got to double check thing. you need a real estate attorney who understands foreclosures. you got to have an attorney that's licensed in the state you're foreclosing in. Um, you're you mentioned something earlier about servicing company. um our servicing company is licensed in 30 states. They're not licensed in all fifty because they're not servicing loans in all fifty. okay right. but that's an important thing. There are some servicing companies out there that're only licensed in ten states but they're servicing in thirty states. so you got to be very careful. About that, if you're going to use a servicing company, hey, make sure that they're licensed in the state that you're going to be uh, buying notes in. So, I'm I'm sorry.
1: So, so uh, you you just triggered a thought for me. Uh, Can you talk the audience through how you're dealing with the gain? Right. So, is this a 1031able occurrence? Is this short-term capital gains? Is this ordinary income?
0: So that's a great question. Unfortunately, in the note game, you can't do a ten thirty one exchange yep. into another note. But there is a way around it. You could do a tax deferred sales trust. Okay, and basically set up. You know, if you're selling a property, like, like I get people that have ten thirty one exchanges, they want to buy a portfolio notes. I'm like, no, 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 it's not going to work that because it's not an asset client. Sell your property on a tax uh, tax deferred sales trust. So it's like your like your owner financing. And then the, the money you get from that, then you can use that money to go buy a portfolio of notes. Okay? Now, when, I, when I'm when i selling a note, yes, if, it, if something happens, if I foreclose and it's less than a year, you yes, have short-term capital gains tax on that deal. If it's longer than 12 months, then it's a long-term capital gains tax. Okay? Now, our investors that are investing with us, and we're sending them K-1 reports on an annual basis on that, depending on how they're either set up on either a uh, – a flat percentage rate, what it might mean to us, you know, six to 10% or on some of our bigger deals or individual investors. They're on a, a joint venture split where we're splitting profits 50, 50. Wow. So,
1: so this is a lot of information and I, I really appreciate you being as candid as you've been here, kind of giving the playbook. Um, again, I, I think that this is the single biggest opportunity that I'll ever see in my career. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for folks out there uh that are interested in learning more. Scott, you 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 offline you had made a very, very generous offer, which we're really appreciative of. Can you walk through uh the audience, the offer you had made and what you're gonna extend to the listeners?
0: Yeah, I mean you're not gonna learn no business has a lot of moving parts, just like any bit of real estate. Okay. And I've had the good fortune to have some really great mentors that helped you know, walk me through and did things. So uh, I teach kind of like, uh, I call it a, a dip your toe in the water class monthly. It's a one-day class. We call it Note Weekend because we'll live stream it, live via Zoom on Saturday, and then the replays are out by Sunday if you miss it. So it's a one-day course, nine to five, with yours truly going through, as they say, the Cliff Notes version of Note Investing. Uh, it's normally 49 bucks, but if you're listening to this and you use the code CASA, C-A-S-A, We'll comp you into the class for free, and you'll get not only the class, the replays to that class. You'll also get a 34-page manual with a lot of forms and contracts, you know, FAQs, and uh, uh, over another uh, 10 hours of video training as we talk with vendors and other people that work in the note industry. So you have a good grasp on. So it's really about roughly about 24 uh, plus hours of training that we're going to, you know, comp in for you guys being a, a loyal listener here, Cassandra. You know, properties because under properties podcast and literally for free. So noteweekend.com. when asked for a discount code, type in Casa, not case sensitive and we'll copy the class for free. And you can attend the third Saturday, whether it's this coming one in November, or the one in December or next year, sometime it's up to you.
1: Oh, that's really amazing. Uh, I can guarantee you I'll be there. I'll try. I'm going to try and make myself available to be there, uh, this coming Saturday. No, well, it would be, um, it would be the 21st in this yeah. month, right? So I, I think I can do that. So uh, I'm going to attend. This has been super, super helpful and very informative. I, I can't thank you enough for the, the opportunity to just sit and chat with you today, uh, and then to extend that generous offer to the listeners. Uh, how do folks uh, find you and follow you? I know you've got like thirty three thousand followers on <laughs> Facebook, and you've got you know uh, one hundred and twenty uh, thousand uh, views or one hundred sixty thousand views on YouTube. Like you, you've got a lot of content out there. Um, I'm I'm a listener now, and I I've subscribed. How does the audience find you, and and how do we uh, you know jump on the the Scott Carson train if you will
0: <laughs> it's easy just go to our mothership on our website basically we close notes.com that's our main website we close notes plural we close notes.com and you can see the different podcasts we have the different training you know like you said it will connect you to our, our youtube channel which is uh i think we've got 1300 videos on there now and check out the note closer show podcast that we just uh, pretty honor we get just recorded episode 640 today and we wow. surpassed the 1 million download mark in our four year. So pretty excited. Uh,
1: this was, uh, this was great. Um, if you have any assets up this way, don't forget your local friendly realtor here.
0: Already, already got you down on the hot list, man. Already got you <laughs> down on that there for you. When you, the minute you said New York, I was like, Oh yeah, let put that the- in place there. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, that's the, that's the biggest thing. There's opportunities. I mean, I got started, My you know, my first deal, I flipped a note for 1500 bucks. You know, I wholesaled it. I bought a, a, a piece, a POS property in Detroit for $500 on a debit card from Wells Fargo Financial, and I called the local investor. Hey, I got a house. Would you give me $1,500 for the scrap? And he said, yes. <laughs> so, yep. you know, biggest trade, we bought a couple million dollar assets. You know, like we said, we bought some hotels. We bought some apartment complexes in the day. It, it, it looked The commercial market's about to be on sale if you know where to go and you can really beat everybody else out there six to 12 months ahead of the traditional
1: investor. Look, man, uh, God bless you. You You've built an unbelievable outfit here. Best of luck. We will be in touch. So uh, thank you so much for the time today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor. And everybody, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave them a five-star review as well. All right? Do it for them. We love it. I
1: appreciate you, everybody. Stay safe.